0: Welcome back to the Hand to Shoulder podcast. This is Cassie. Today, I'm sitting this one out, and you'll be listening to Shelly and Steve. They brought back one of our former therapy managers from our hand clinic. She is known from MedBridge, she's an IAOM instructor, she's returning speaker to the Milwaukee Hand Experience this year, and she was our guest on podcast number four when we discussed everything about the TFCC. We are welcoming back Teresa Perry to discuss common exercises for the wrist on YouTube. Hope you enjoy the show. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating so we can keep changing the world one hand to shoulder at a time.
1: All right, here we go, welcome back. I'm being joined by Teresa Perry and Shelley Summers. We're gonna be talking about YouTube, uh, OTPT, talking about wrist pain exercises. So we each put together our list and we have like the top five exercises that we're gonna talk about, what we like about them, what we don't like about them, when will we prescribe them, when will we make some modifications. So I think after chatting the first round of exercises that we seem to find pretty, through multiple videos was just simple, active range of motion of the wrist, simple flexion, extension, radial ulnar deviation. Some people were putting forearm rotation in there: supination pronation. Um, Pretty common, right? When would you guys be giving that out in the clinic? It was just active range of motion.
2: I think for all of my range of motion patients, I'm giving it right away day one. Some form of motion, depending on even if it's a short arc or wrist forearm, I think day one.
3: Yeah, I think it applies, you know, more largely to a post-op population. You know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of just simple wrist pain, I'm usually not giving range of motion to those people, you know, that it's more calculated as to what planes of motion you want to work in versus just straight plane. But I think it's interesting, isn't it, that what you see is straight plane orthogonal planes of motion. You don't. I saw a little bit of circumduction out there when we were searching. Yeah. But not really. It was like a warm up. Yeah. I feel like this wasn't the exercise. And you know, obviously, no mention of like a dart thrower's plane or anything okay. like that.
2: That's what I was just gonna say. I only saw straight plane flexion extension radial ulnar deviation. Not no mention of dart throwers at all. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. You know doing some form of motion initially, but again, more, yeah, like we said, post-op patients versus your, your um, conservative wrist pain, right? Patient.
1: Yeah. So what would you say, let's say the patient comes in, they're having wrist pain they're They just go on YouTube and they search and they just start doing that and it's not doing anything. What are you saying to the patient? Are you appreciating that they try to take this on by themselves? Or are you kind of condemning them? Cause they probably need an examination of some sort
2: both I think saying you know way to go I want I'm glad you took an initiative to try to get better however we're gonna assess midcarpal mobility or intercarpal mobility and, and take a deeper dive into where other impairments could
3: lie yeah I agree I think you always have to give a, a pat on the back when someone's you know feeling empowered enough to seek out their own health solutions but unfortunately there's a lot of bad information out there. And if you don't have the skill set to weed through what's applicable to your situation and what's not, I mean, of course, they're just gonna, they're just gonna move their wrist. So to help them not feel, feel stupid, you know, for doing what they've seen. um, But just, you know, here's a way that we can refine what you found to make it more specific to what is in your wrist.
1: Yeah, I think that's the big thing, too, is just remembering it's it should be patient specific right i'm sure there's instances out there where patients look up exercises and and it's helpful or maybe the clinician's like oh maybe i should give out this exercise it seems kind of cool and it's helpful but where you know you guys have kind of alluded to this too and, and i've mentioned it too about talking about the examination like what are things where you would want to avoid like the straight plane motion
3: well i think in terms of you know straight plane motion it's traditionally what's always been given, but we know that motion that happens more on a diagonal plane is uh, what's more conducive to improving midcarpal motion. So, if you have, you know, someone with some kind of instability happening, like at the scapholunate interval, straight plane motion can actually, you know, be more harmful to um, a partially torn scapolunate ligament, that you get more movement happening within the proximal carpal row, and that it would be a benefit to do things in more of that diagonal midcarpal plane. And, you know, those are patients who probably just have some general radial-sided wrist pain that they're never going to be able to self-diagnose any kind of scapolunate laxity themselves. So they would be reliant on a, the skill of a therapist to help identify that.
1: Love that. What about ulnar-sided? wrist pain, if we were just going straight plane, I mean, more, I think you would see more issues with, I guess, forearm rotation. And would you want them avoiding that? Maybe a short arc of motion?
2: Yeah. For any of your TFCC injuries or compromise at that ulnar wrist, definitely avoiding your end range supination pronation. You know, but then at, at that case, you are doing more some straight plane motion for wrist versus forearm.
3: Yeah, and you can get those you know, commingling of diagnoses on that ulnar side, too. You know, is it just a TFCC issue? Is there some LT stuff going on? Because then you fall into that same category as the SL injuries, where you want to avoid the straight plane, and they do better with a midcarpal plane. But I do think if you think about people who come in with just wrist pain, this is a conservative population, it often is a midcarpal issue, in my experience, that... You know, a dart thrower's plane is going to be detrimental for them because you're you're exacerbating the the laxity at the midcarpal joint. So, you know, that's why they got to be looked at. You know, you can't. At the same time, we were just talking about how a lot of comments in these videos. It helped. It
1: got yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so, is there an element of just feeling empowered and moving, and does that help people get better?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Could you speak a little bit more to, like you said, in your experience, like you find it's more of a mid-carpal issue?
3: I shouldn't say more, but I do think that there's definitely instances where people have a fall and it's, you know, most common you would look to the SL interval, that that's very commonly injured during a fall. But especially in a younger population or people who have a tendency to just be more mobile in general... It's more at that midcarpal level that they end up having more laxity. So, like a, especially a young female, I'm always thinking midcarpal joint more than anything at the proximal row. Well,
1: uh, yeah, I'm glad you expand on that because I feel like you know there's so many things you could look at the shoulder. I think there's so many common patterns you see. And I was curious about that if you were going to say you saw a common pattern with the wrist as well.
3: Especially if you don't have much for a trauma history. Like, they they can't identify a fall. They can't identify an event where it started hurting. Like, maybe they're just active, so their wrist is constantly under load, like a gymnast. Yep. That they're more, you're pointing, you're thinking about, what are my structures that just commonly stretch out in a lax individual? And that's more a a mid carpal culprit.
2: I think any younger population, majority of the time I'm thinking instability, whether male or female, especially female, like you said, gymnast, active people. I find that often, you know, young male patients, very hypermobile. And a lot of it is because they're trying to lift the weight as heaviest as possible, or trying to get the, the best effort out of something. And then that's compromising and creating laxity.
1: And then there with the midcarpal joint, as you said earlier, you'd want to avoid that that dart-throwers motion, right? So are you noticing probably working more radial column, making sure that that's moving as well as possible? And then obviously like RCJ as well.
3: Well, and that's the thing where, you know, you don't want a ton of exercise because like the radial column is actually doing fine. That's sure. It's mobile enough. So you're looking at what kind of external support do they need to realign distal row, proxel row. Sure. And then giving then sort of opening the door to movement and loading when they're well aligned. Yeah. So and that's I think sort of a a common theme is that all of the exercises we found for wrist pain were motion based where except maybe grip strengthening.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll 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 get into that a little bit. I think we all kind of in agreement, I think the active range can be fine. You know, if it's if it's you're working in post op clinic, obviously that's what you're probably going to give you're probably going to have precautions from your surgeon or the physician you're working with. And then if you're probably trying those active range of motions for exercises for a week or two and it's not changing or they're causing more pain, you probably should stop that and get in and see a therapist, especially if you have direct access. Um, be good to get a good clinical exam by a good therapist. Second exercise that was seen everywhere was just flexion and extension wrist curls. Maybe a little bit different. I've seen it seated arm over a table arm over a knee standing over a bench or something. Some people are kneeling on a bench, but all just flexion and extension with a weight. Um, what are, what are your two feel, thoughts on that? What do you guys feel about those two?
2: I like all these, I think there's a time and a place for every exercise. Um, majority of the the videos that I watched demonstrated starting with a five pound weight, which I, I, I had to giggle at because I, can't tell you last time I gave a five pound weight initially to any of my patients with wrist pain. Um, do I give wrist curls out? Yes. Initially, definitely not. Mm-hmm.
3: I really think about it more as an elbow exercise than I would a, a wrist exercise. Yeah. You know, that you, you know, sure, after distal radius fracture or, you know, you're going to get to a stage where you're going to do some wrist curls, but. It's more when you're looking to load flexors and extens- extensors for an elbow diagnosis that I think about that exercise, that if I have someone with risk, well, talking about the instability population that we've sort of been referring to, I'm not pulling that out. Mm-hmm. Probably ever, honestly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's It can be a good exercise, right? But I'm like you too, I think, I think more of like a golfer's tennis elbow chronic tendinosis. So we're doing tempo work or just focusing on that, that eccentric portion control of it. And then later on, post-op is probably the time I'm, I'm giving it. But it is interesting. Like when I see that, I'm kind of wondering, well, why would that help the wrist? Like, what would that really do at the wrist?
3: I think you get some co-contraction. Yeah, you, know, you could argue that there's just general healthy loading happening, but don't you think we're just sort of behind the times with the wrist? It's just been slower to evolve. Than yeah. other
2: joints yes that's what i was gonna say i used to say extrinsic stiffness and i think my lateral elbow pain patient that that's when i'm utilizing that for more eccentric loading
1: yeah
3: versus my wrist pain
2: patient
1: yeah so i don't think we really have a
3: or maybe that patients have those small they have dumbbells at home so it's easy it's like an easy carryover <sighs> easy. type of yeah.
1: thing
3: they don't want or the nuance of a flex bar or of, you know the other tools that are out there
2: Or we'd give them a TheraBand to do these easier exercises. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a good point. What about, I guess we could lump it in there. I mean, I only saw it on one of the videos actually from E3 Rehab. And I actually kind of liked the video they had. It was pretty good. When we go into those curls, do you guys just do like radial deviation as well? Ever? Do you guys ever give that out?
3: Early in my days, I definitely did. Okay. Because it was on the handout that I used. Sure. Just in total honesty. Maybe in a... To queer vein situation, I would want to be loading that side of the wrist. Okay. Other than that, no. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I can't say that if I've given it out in the last how many years.
1: Yeah. Could you think of, I don't want to jump too much into like grip strength. We're going to talk about that's going to come down the pipeline here in a few minutes. But what would you rather give, Teresa? You made a good point of like, yeah, I've, as we're talking about, I'm like, yeah, we really are kind of behind, you know, with the wrist when it comes to exercise. I mean, you think about, really the lower extremity, upper extremity, I mean, is very similar, in my opinion, just because of the ankle, the subtalar joint has all these proprioceptors. When you think about all the proprioceptors on the dorsal side of the hand, the elbow and knee are very, very similar. And then you think about how all the glute muscles, that's basically like the rotator cuff of the hip joint, super similar. And you got all these like single leg balance things you're doing or reaches um, with a band or weights, squats. I mean, what what else could you be, th- What does that make you think of like, We should be doing more closed chain things for the wrist for strengthening or
3: I think you have to progress to that point. I don't think that's an early, yeah, an early exercise, in my opinion. But I think, you know, if if you think about functionally how we take load for the wrist, that if you lift something heavy, you are usually trying to get yourself in a wrist neutral position. So I like loading in a completely neutral, isometric position. That that's an easy way to start, you know, introducing strength in a way, you know, I feel like people just get irritated with the repetitive movement sure. of flexion and extension, that that's not a very functional movement, especially radial and ulnar deviation. You know, what do you, does that really mimic, you know, a functional task? No, maybe some specific tasks, but mm-hmm. not globally. So I just, I like isometrics. I think that's a good, good start, a, a good way to load a little harder for patients to understand when you're targeting a specific muscle. You know, it's a harder picture for them to follow than a wrist curl. Yeah, but more effective and less irritating, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I
2: I agree. I like isometrics. Then I go, you know, to some more gentle, dynamic stabilization, keeping wrist in a straight plane of motion in a neutral position.
1: And so then, you might like closed fist, everything stacked, yeah. and then...
2: On, on a wall or on the foam block, Yep, um, I, I do like that, or I'll just have them, you know, push into putty, um, push into a pillowcase, push into their lap, those sorts of things to get more of a dyna- dynamic component, or they'll have them with a band, mm-hmm. you know, keep your hand here against this, and I'll give them the TheraBand at the wrist, pulling in multiple different planes of motion. Um, to increase the dynamic stability. I mean we can talk about the wrist gyroscope, whiffling a ball, those sorts of things. I think they they have a have a great, they're a great asset to these exercises as well. Yeah. And then going into more loading with pre-positioning maybe some wrist extension or, you know, maybe slight wrist flexion.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we've established timelines, cases we'd want to do the wrist curls with, but I think we're all questioning why, why are we giving those? which jumps me into our our next one that was really common was the forearm rotation. Someone holding, you know, a dumbbell on on one of the heads and then keeping the elbow against, tucked against the side, arms, elbows, 90 degrees flexion. We're just doing pronation supination. Thoughts on that. I think that that could probably be maybe the most controversial exercise we probably talk about. Do You guys have any thoughts on the forearm rotation strength?
3: I don't necessarily like it as a weighted stretch. I think that unless you can feel really all insurances
1: are going to stop and reimbursing <laughs> us now, Teresa said no. that they're all done <laughs> in
3: the event that you have thoroughly weeded out, you know, any kind of incongruency at the DRUJ. And, you know, maybe there's an interosseous membrane issue, which you're not going to fix and you wanna just support them to have a functional range, sure, you could you could use it knowing that you might be setting them up for more stability issues down the road. Yeah. So and sometimes you sacrifice that just to be functional. Yep. But I like I think mid range weighted rotation is a great strengthening tool. You know, I, I just don't necessarily see the value in going to those extremes, which you know They'll usually tell you all like, oh, I feel that one when they're in supination. And they just point out their ECU. Like you're just causing a stretch of, you know, TFCC and probably some s- stretch of the ECU in within the sheath. So I don't find a lot of value in that for a stretch personally.
1: Okay. About for strengthening, do you do you like it though, or not? I do,
3: I like it mid range. But you
1: like it mid range for strengthening, I like okay? okay. Mid range, okay. Where
3: it's not uncomfortable.
1: You okay. Know, where it just
3: feels like you're. And I like the ones that are long, you know, like the, like those rain sticks or even doing it with a, doing it with a hammer, but something that's light, that's easy to control, but that you get the benefit of the, you know, lever length. So that sure. it's more effort. Yeah. And easy to grade, easy to hard.
1: Yeah. Are there anything where, you know, cause I'd imagine you probably would agree everything there, Shelly, that Teresa said.
2: Yeah. I just, I'm over here smiling cause I... You know definitely an exercise i've given out in the past yeah and kind of like what you alluded to before it maybe i think i was off off course you know sometimes sure. especially earlier on in my career of giving these exercises with a hammer saying go to that end range supination and range pronation to try to gain motion yeah you know really was that impacting the the you know pruj or druj or where where was our limitation was lying or were we just you know more focusing on carpal mobility and taking away stability.
1: Yeah. What about, let's just say, you know, there's a listener out there who's in a clinic by themselves, they don't have any mentoring and they're just doing the best they can, what would be like some tech and maybe they're not as savvy with their hands on, they haven't had a chance to go to a con ed or maybe they're just, you know, looking on YouTube or in a textbook and trying to read through basic clinical tests, you know, special tests. What are some hallmark signs of, like, you would want the listeners to take away?
3: I think that sometimes if, like, patients can intuitively figure out if something's, like, not right. So they'll tell you, like, it feels better if I hold on to my wrist. Like, they're, they're putting manual compression around their wrist. 2.31 p.m. Sorry, my watch talking. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, so if you're having, you know, the patient saying that I need to have some support for my wrist to feel good, that's always a little bit of a red flag that, you know, they're basic, they're listening to their body that they want stability. So I would not push end ranges of rotation in that case.
2: I think going off the same thing, you know, you'll have patients say I'm gripping something and, you know, their ulnar sided wrist hurts, you know, I think, or I'm gripping something and pulling and they're demonstrating it in forearm pronation or forearm supination. And, you know, I think they're alluding to where that, Where that lies, and if they say that, then knowing to avoid again Mm -hmm. those end range, end ranges of forearm motion,
3: or if too, if they've already self weeded out that it's positional, yeah, you know, like if they've been able to tell you, like especially when my palm is up Mm -hmm. and I'm gripping hard, it really bothers me. That would be a red flag as far as you know. There's no need to, to push, and I think in general. A lot of those people didn't have issues until you started the strengthening phase like they were they got their motion back pretty quickly finger motion came back pretty quickly but it's like as soon as you added the load that's when their pain started that's sort of like a might have been something else irritated in this you know i
2: think when these patients come into the clinic when they're reporting that and they're grabbing their wrists and saying it hurts when i do this but it feels better when i stabilize you know just for the listeners out there i think it's a great taking a pre and post grip strength with and without a compressive load to get more buy-in from the patient to put a brace on or an ulnar boost or, you know, whatever they're going to need.
1: Yeah. And I think I kind of alluded to it before I asked the question too. I think the classic, uh, the wrist widget, right? You pull it out, they have the test there, have them weight bear with yep. and without it. I think too, if someone's telling me like they have pain with push-ups or any any type of weight bearing through the arm, in the ulnar side of wrist, then I'm thinking, okay, I probably got to avoid that. So then we got to investigate the ulnar side of wrist pain too. Let's move on into the, the other thing I saw on there was weight bearing. A lot of videos had weight bearing. Uh, And it it was cool to see because there was, there was a video out there that went through different types of push up variations someone could, could make just to, if they were dealing with wrist pain, I think some of them were kind of obvious. Any thoughts to someone looking it up and thinking man I just got to just got to bear weight through my wrist get out of wrist pain
2: weight bearing definitely is more of an end stage of rehab for me and i'm not saying like simple weight shifts i'm saying full weight bearing onto the onto the hand you know there's a, a progression you can go from tabletop to countertop to wall you know so i think it depends on how much load you want but definitely not something that i'm starting early on
3: i agree i don't think it's a, a quick go-to for me. I like weight-bearing. It's more like a test activity. Like if you're trying an intervention, doing a pre-post with some light weight-bearing, you know, just because it is usually a a, pro- a provocative, you know, type of movement versus anything that causes pain relief and from what I've experienced.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So I don't think it would be a top five conservative exercise for
1: me okay youtube ouch gonna have to change the search engines a little bit now on there (laughs) what about when when would you use the weight bearing let like it you know i i can think of a patient i had a couple years back who he was a mechanic bilateral medial elbow pain and that was one of the things we did was quadruped weight bearing and that actually seemed to really help him um not feel as like stiff and tight all the time and I would imagine he felt that way because he's using tools, carrying things, manipulating, you know, vehicle parts, but I've used it there. And then usually towards the end stage of like a rehab. Um, obviously I think we would probably do it end stage of rehab for whether it is a wrist elbow or even shoulder, you know, Because right? we can recruit way more musculature in a closed pat, closed chain position. But when would you guys use the weight bearing? Like if it wasn't post-surgical, are there any, cases or diagnoses you can think of where you would would like some weight bearing if it was conservative
2: i mean i think gentle weight bearing yes but you know i i listen to what you said and you had a medial bilateral medial elbow pain patient that you were doing weight quadruped weight bearing i was so, so, so do you think that it was more the weight bearing component or that you were start giving a flexor tendon stretch
3: as he was weight bearing. And I think about it more as like you were getting shoulder muscle recruitment, like you were getting
2: scapular yep. stability yep. from yep.
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. see, an interesting perspective. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: You know, so
2: I that that's where my brain was was thinking when you were saying that of.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of agree that I think it would be more of a global and end stage just like full upper extremity recruitment versus really targeting the wrist.
1: Yep. Have you guys ever had anything where a patient's come in and you're thinking Gosh, there really something's going on in this wrist because of something at the shoulder. I mean, I think you could see that more with like some dermatome, myotomes, with like some cervical segments, but anything shoulder make you want to think that at all or not?
2: I think the only time I've thought that is just from after taking the dry kneeling certifications, it talked a lot about like dorsal wrist pain referrals from your rotator cuff, those sorts of things. So when my patient's coming in describing maybe diffuse uh, dorsal wrist pain, I have, I mean, this is maybe going a little off topic, needled at the rotator cuff and found that to alleviate their dorsal wrist pain. Mm-hmm. So wow. yes, I guess I have correlated that, but is it a direct
3: correlation?
2: No more a referral?
3: Yeah. 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 So I find that it's more a, a proximal causing the distal versus a distal causing the yes. proximal. Yep. You know, that maybe if... You know, we've, And I think you and I have talked about this in the past where we know what the secondary state are in the event of like a scapholunate injury. Yeah. So you'll have uh, ECRB and L working super hard. So you might have some lateral elbow pain and we know how that contributes with the shoulder. So, you know, there's always going to be this cascade of events once you have an injury. And I think it's just sort of interesting as to what sticks out to the patient as the most irritating that brings them in, you know, but you still have to figure out which way up or down you have to work first yep. to alleviate
1: that. Yep. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that everybody's probably addressing the whole chain now, much more than what it was probably four or five years ago. I'd I say so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. Would you ever, I guess, use like like a a wedge or the built up towels to kind of give them a, and work into it that way with the weight bearing? If it was painful, do you like that?
2: I can't say I'm using a wedge, but I'm using different hand positions against maybe the edge of a table or the top of a table or having them use a sweatshirt, you know? So yeah, I, I am mo- making modifications
3: that yeah. way. Yeah. And I think that like for me, I'm always thinking about is there an underlying instability pattern and what kind of support can I provide so that they can get into the normal position comfortably? Mm-hmm. Like, do they need a wrist restore? Do they need a, you know, a ulnar boost or something to enable them to weight bear comfortably. So I, I think my brain goes to an external support before modifying the position. If I can't get there yet, then, uh, you know, let's, let's grab something to make it more gradual and you're not in as much wrist extension. Yoga jelly. Yoga jelly is good. Yoga
1: jelly. I've recommended yoga jellies or maybe getting a couple towels to lessen that extension and Mm -hmm. hopefully they just can build their capacity up to return to full weight bearing. Um, last one here will be interesting. I think is grip strength. Every video squeezing something, tennis ball, soft foam ball, or there was even one that had some orange putty surprised that it just, yeah.
0: Orange.
1: Yeah, it was orange. It was orange. And the guy was a PT because I feel like a putty isn't really like a PT thing. I feel like that's like OT specific hand therapy. Maybe I'm generalizing there a little bit, but but I've definitely not seen it. As I sit
2: here as the PT. Well, I'm just saying, like, like, you know, I'm
1: thinking like this guy is definitely not working with anybody like us in the video when I'm listening to him talk. I was like, okay. But yeah, grip strength. Because I know grip strength can be controversial.
3: This is a hard one to sort of generalize. It is.
2: I agree. I, I, again, like all of these exercises, I think there's a time and a place for all of them. And am I giving a specific... Grip strengthening to my conservative patients early on, probably not.
3: Well, let's t- When would you? When would you give grip, grip strengthening for a wrist patient? Because I think it's easy to talk about.
2: You know, I'm probably not directly giving them squeeze the squeeze the football unless it is squeeze a foam squeeze a, a, a foam ball with wrist preposition in neutral at 20% for more of a, a variable isometric loading
0: mm-hmm. to a sense. Mm-hmm.
2: I can't say I'm saying grip it as hard as you possibly can ever.
0: Yeah.
3: In my opinion, with a wrist patient, you don't really ever have a significantly like deconditioned, weak grip. It's more about restoring congruity of surfaces so they can sustain load without pain. So you're really just trying to... You're using grip as a method to test, you know what puts them in the most ideal alignment so that they can do it comfortably. Versus, because I mean, how many times have you had, let's say, an SL injury? They you do a grip test and it's thirty pounds and painful. You manually stabilize it and now they're at sixty. You didn't improve their strength. You just mm-hmm. improved their alignment. Yeah. So yep. I think it's to me it's not really like you're shooting for strength. You're shooting for you know maybe even. Keying them into what types of positions can I sustain load in with less pain?
1: For like an SL or an LC you want to avoid grip strengthening, don't you? Init- yeah. Initially.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, just biomechanically, you've got the capitate. Who's going to accept the load from your third metacarpal when you make a fist? And the capitate will drive right between your scaphoid and your scapoid and your lunate. So you might avoid grip for months you know, if you're conservatively rehabbing it, you know, unsupported at least, like, if yeah, you get them somewhere where you've got good support and then you can start some light loading if it's without pain. But I just think that if you have this person that's functioning in daily life, they're probably getting enough gripping to, you know, prevent muscle loss or, you know, true loss of strength. Yep they're using their hand functionally
1: yeah yeah grip strength I mean I guess and then on the opposite end of the spectrum I didn't see it out there but working with either putty or, or a band to like work on extensor strengthening
2: I didn't see it out in any video I, I didn't watched. but
3: mm-hmm.
1: but we always think of just like squeezing a ball right or how many patients ask you should I be squeezing something afterwards Yeah. you know
3: you wonder too if it's just because it's easier to measure sure you know that we've created as a fairly you know, quantifiable yeah. change, something yeah. that you know an insurance reviewer may look for. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, look at it for if you're gonna give them stability, what are you measuring? You're measuring yeah. grip strength before the, the stabilization was given to the wrist and then after, mm-hmm. and that's how they're paying for that. And, and that's how you're getting the patient buy-in though too. Right, you bet. To say you're stronger and you're less painful. So right. this is why you need
3: mm-hmm.
2: this stabilization here, or
3: brace. Easy to measure. Yeah.
1: Love it for those peep for those clinicians going on YouTube looking up wrist pain exercises to give to patients, or maybe we have a listener who is a patient. Is there any takeaways you'd want them to listen to before engaging in any of these exercises, or is it kind of a trial and error?
2: I didn't really see one video that I was that I thought was a home run by any means. You know, I had some that I watched that. I, I was shocked at how they were demonstrating exercises. I had others that I, I thought, oh, this is going to be a great video because they were talking in medical terminology, and he seemed on point with what he was saying. And then he got to the exercises, and I went, where, where did we fall off the cliff here? And, and I'm, I'm not sure what I would recommend other than every time I watch the videos, I would think, well, we need to check mid mobility, or we need to check the SL interval or LT. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and I just, I, I don't know where to go i think it is you know the wrist pain patient is such a broad topic and it could be multiple things and i think truly coming in for an evaluation is the is maybe the best plan of care Mm
3: -hmm. other than i think listening to your body you know that you absolutely intuitively it's going to kind of tell you here here are the positions that are protective you know because it doesn't hurt as much or this is what you should avoid because it hurts terribly so I think if anything, you know, go with what doesn't hurt. It's not a no pain, no gain situation, mm-hmm. you know, where you just push through and expect it to, to improve. So I think that would be the,
1: yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully we just see an improvement too. And maybe the videos that are out there and the interventions, I mean, mm-hmm. that are out there for the wrist. Cause
3: who do you think is putting them out?
1: Well, I mean, I don't want to say the authors, but I think if you just go up and put wrist pain exercises on there from my experience, I mean. I started drinking the CrossFit Kool-Aid in like 2014. And there was like a gentleman who started making these mobility videos, like kind of using a, um, like a McKenzie technique, like using all the pull-up bands or the distraction bands. And he would have things like weight bearing and, you know, providing your own bowler glide, dorsal glide, like with your wrist weight bearing. So I think it just kind of like evolved from there. Kelly Starr was like one of the pioneers who started developing like these videos. And then like now you saw... I was guilty of it. Like my friend, Andrew Walquist and I were guilty of like putting videos out, trying to get, get on into that wave. Cause now you go out and you search and there's therapists everywhere with videos. Yeah. I mean, you go on, you go on social media. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. I mean, we, we've, we've done it for, um, some ideas for rehab patients and stuff mm-hmm. like for elbow, I think on our IG handle, but.
3: So what do you think? Is it, is that to the benefit of the profession or not?
2: I, I unfortunately don't think so. You know, I was, I was a little sad to see a lot of the videos I did watch were from physical therapists and, you know, not only demonstration of the video, but it was, was incorrect. You know, going back to looking at wrist tenidesis, there was none of that. And, and just, I I was, I was disappointed really. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe the, the lack of some knowledge, and especially because we're talking about a big topic of the wrist, there's so much going on in there. And, and I, I was disappointed in the things that maybe that weren't considered.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great question, Teresa, because I think you want the patient to feel empowered. You want them to take a shot. As you said that earlier, like someone grabs their wrist and says, Hey, it feels better when I grab and support my wrist. I mean, patients are very intuitive, know their body better than anybody. And it's out there to empower people, but also for some people, I'm sure it's to get their own recognition and become credible because there's more videos with more views and likes and subscribers. I'm I'm really not sure you know, because now you you can go down rabbit holes and people can Google search, they could find bulletproof shoulder program, bulletproof back program. And I thought when we did the last episode, YouTube episode on the elbow exercise, I actually thought they were pretty fairly decent. But the wrist ones, I would say that were the worst out of the ones we've searched for. I think it just comes back, everybody's got to remember, not everybody fits in the same shoebox for individualized care, because the wrist is so depth and deep as you guys are talking about, and you really probably just need a Need an exam, and I mean I'm not saying that they can't go try these things, but but or at
3: least to highlight the red flags. What you're experiencing, you should go see.
1: Yeah, someone. Maybe we'll put out a video. Who knows? So, <laughs> all right, awesome. Um, any any other takeaways? Anything we want to say before we get off the the air here? No,
2: thanks no, we're for good. having us. All right, awesome. And Teresa,
0: yeah, perfect. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Teresa, Shelley, and Steve. There's always good takeaways from each one of our interviews. Next up, we have one of our in-house surgeons, Dr. Sean Hennigan. We'll be dissecting surgeries and different diagnoses of the shoulder. Stay tuned for a great conversation coming your way.